Hi, and welcome to the Music Box Podcast, where we talk about all things Music Box. That is Music Box Theater here in Chicago. I'm your host, Ryan Ostrike, and today's is going to be a little bit different of a show because it's two pre-recorded segments, and it's just me. I'm not going to be talking specifically with anyone about the programming, and uh, as you kind of see the flow, as you'll hear the flow, uh, you'll you'll understand a little bit a bit about it. So today's show, we're going to give a brief overview of what we're currently playing and what's coming up. Then we're going to have a very long, interesting conversation with Alan Rohde, uh, who is a board member of the Film Noir Foundation and a programmer of Noir City Chicago. Then we're going to have the second half of our um, Dennis Scott interview, our house organist. Um, if you were wondering why it felt like it kind of ended abruptly, it was because our editor uh, decided, since it was so long, um, to split it up between the two weeks um, so that we got a little bit of Dennis's story week one and a little bit in week two. Uh, and then we'll review and wrap up. Um, and so, yeah, let's let's jump into this thing. Well, you already know who I am, and I, I'm kind of looking around thinking I should be talking to somebody else here, but I'm, I'm not. I'm just going to look at a wall and a poster of a film called Ida uh, while I talk to all of you out there in uh, podcast land. Um, well, what do we currently have playing this week? We've got um, we've got three identical strangers. Uh, I don't know if this is its sixth week or its twentieth. I can't keep count anymore, uh, but it keeps going strong. People like it a lot. Uh, it's uh, a film that just random people will come up to me and start talking about, and so that just means uh, you guys like it. And we, are, of course, will be holding it over, and it's now going to be playing through Thursday, August twenty third. Uh, we uh, oh, the film Scotty: The Secret History of Hollywood, which we opened this last week, of course. Uh, we are holding that over, as I predicted. Uh, people really like that film, and it will uh, it will play through at least Thursday, August 23rd, and it might go longer than that. We did open another film last week called Nico 1988. Sadly, not much of an audience came out for it. Happy we played it. Um, happy for those who did come out for it. Um, but it's going to have to end on Thursday, August 16th. So in this feed, if you're looking at your... You're watching, you're like, it's whatever time on Wednesday, you've got that evening, and you know, you've got Thursday to come see it if you still got a chance. So, uh, for fans who are going to be mad at me, who love Nico, I'm sorry, we just couldn't play it very long. That That's the business. I'm just going to use that as my statement. That is the business. Um, so, let's look into uh, what's coming up this week. Well, we have uh, we've got two different midnights. Uh, we're going to hold over Summer of 84. That was a fantastic conversation with uh, Steven. Uh, the writer of the film, and thanks for everybody who came out for that. So we're going to hold it over. It's going to play in our smaller theater on Friday and Saturday at midnight. Uh, and then we have our regulars, our our, our monthly uh, midnights, for better or worse, however you feel about them. On Friday night, we've got The Room with spoons galore, whether or not I actually care about those damn spoons. I don't. <laughs> uh, spoiler. Uh, and then on Saturday night, we've got our, our Rocky Horror Picture Show with the Shadow Cast, and they are super excited to do their uh, their usual uh, fun festivities, fun-tivities, I'm going to call them, uh, and excited for all of you coming out. Now, that's some really different programming than the core of what's going to take over this entire week, which is our Noir City Chicago program. So, uh, we're gonna we're gonna cut here and we're gonna have a conversation with um, with Alan Rohde. And welcome back, listeners, to the Music Box podcast. We have a very special guest who will 
you will hear today, but if you come to Noir City, Chicago, you will get to meet the man in person. You'll be able to hear all of his uh, scholarly knowledge and just general interesting tidbits about the film noirs that we're showing, as well as uh, film history, because he knows more than just stuff about film noir. Um, he, is, uh, he is Alan Rohde, and welcome to the Musebox Podcast. Hey, it's uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on, and I'm looking forward to uh, celebrating year ten of Noir City at the Music Box in Chicago, and and seeing everyone, seeing my uh, my friends and the audience that we've built up over the years. So I'm really looking forward to coming back. So before we jump into what you guys gave us this year. Tell me, what is the Film Noir Foundation? Or tell our listeners, like, what is this thing? Uh, well, the Film Noir Foundation is really a, a grassroots organization. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty much uh, Eddie Muller, myself, uh, our uh, publicity director, Darrell Sparks, a few other. There, there's a number of other people involved, but it's a pretty lean and mean organization. And, and our charter is essentially to maintain and rescue America's noir heritage. So what that means is, is that we locate films that have fallen between the cracks that are no longer available in a 35 millimeter print that aren't on DVD or Blu-ray. And we use the funds that have been realized from this festival in Chicago, uh, our uh, monthly magazine, uh, Noir City, uh, contributions from donors and and all of this and after the bills are paid we plow that money into film preservation and to date i was just uh looking at what we have done because this whole thing really started around eddie muller's kitchen table uh in alameda <laughs> uh and and i met eddie when he first hosted what was then called the uh, festival of film noir at the Egyptian theater starting in 1999. So that's how far this goes back. So to date, we, the film noir foundation has restored one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, uh, full on restorations. Uh, we have funded, uh, probably about 17 or 18, 35 millimeter prints, uh, from various uh, rights holders and studios, uh, we've um, influenced the funding of new prints by people at the film studios uh, where, uh, you know, everyone likes to, uh, you know, trash the studios and, you know, what have you done for me lately? But there are a lot of people that work at the studios that have done great things. And, oh, I have a bucket of money. I think we can, we can do that. So we've done that as well. And we've done rescues and so forth. And we've also now put out, we're putting out our third uh, film on Blu-ray in conjunction with Flickr Alley, The Man Who Cheated Himself, which is a good lead-in to talking about what we're showing for our 10th anniversary here in Chicago, because The Man Who Cheated Himself uh, will be showing that as well, and I'll be introducing it. But, but we will be showing that on 35mm because... Again, as, as you just described, all of your work has led to some incredible restorations. And so you, yep. can, you can own this film, which is great for people who come yes. see it. But I would think, I, I recommend them, they come see it at the theater first. <laughs> with, the with theater, you. <laughs> you, have to, you have to come to the theater. The Blu-ray will not be out till the end of September. And that is for those folks who don't live near Chicago 
or Los Angeles or San Francisco or Washington, D.C. Uh, we now have our Noir City festivals in eight different cities. Uh, so, But for those people who can't come and see the real deal on the big screen of the music box, uh, the Blu-ray will be out. But by all means, those who can travel to Chicago by car, train, air travel, Conestoga wagon. Or, th- or thumb. S- or thumb, <laughs> yes, yes. The hitchhiker, Ida Lupino. Don't pick up William Tallman on the way to the Music Box Theater. But yeah, uh, definitely need to see this film on the big screen. So how did you guys, I mean, you have built something amazing. How did you get it to Chicago? Uh, actually, I think, uh, and I'm, this is just uh, going back through my memory here. I think a lot of that had to do with our, uh, my good friend and colleague and fellow uh, Film Noir Foundation board member, Foster Hirsch. And he originally talked with um, your predecessors at the Music Box. And I believe the first year opened with having Harry Belafonte there uh, um, for... Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the movie. Robert Wise directed it, and Belafonte was in it with Ed Bigley. A great film, and that was the kickoff. And so here we are 10 years later, looking in the rearview mirror of all the great films. I think this is the ninth consecutive year that I've been there, because uh, I came along in year two. Uh, so that's how it started. And the music box, I have to say, it has been just a tremendous venue uh, with a succession of very, very supportive people, supportive staff, and of course the capability to show these 35 millimeter archival prints. So I think it's important uh, to stress the fact that the movies that we show at the Music Box cannot be seen at the local multiplex or the local. Uh, I'll I'll uh, I'll askew any brand names of chain theaters, but. You get my drift here. So, so it's it's uh, it's gotten to the point where the capability to uh, uh, exhibit thirty five millimeter archival prints it's a it's a shrinking pool of theaters. So the music box has maintained that capability, and uh, I think everyone wins uh, on account of that. And uh, I think it just makes it much more of a unique and. Um... Uh, uh, singular program in, in the in the sense that you just it, you just uh, what you getting with with you and Eddie being here and with the selection of films and and their celluloid ability to see it it just all together just comes together to be kind of a really um, special. T- it's, a yeah, it's, it's a show. It's a show. It's a real show. Uh, it, yeah, it, it's. Not we even have just, a curtain. <laughs> yeah, you have a curtain, but it's not just a bunch of uh, you know old baby boomer movie geeks getting together, I I think one of the things about Noir City, uh, whether it's in Chicago, L.A., or uh, Chicago, is we we put on a show. And um, uh, in addition to presenting the films and having guests there, you know, we're going to open with Eddie and Carl Franklin and uh, The Devil with the Blue Dress on and and, uh, uh, One False Move. And that that's going to be terrific. But I think just hanging out and talking about the films and the background and the context. Uh, one of the great things about the music box is that you guys now have a lounge with a bar 
attached to it. So the only thing you need to add to make Bliss complete is a bookstore. <laughs> you know, I always thought it would be nice to have a combination movie theater, bookstore and bar because those are the three essentials. Yep. And as, as I've said more than once, there's a lot of things in this life uh, that I don't do well. But one of the things I do really well is standing around talking about movies with a drink in my hand. So <laughs> you look the part, you sound the part. I'll say yeah, exactly, that experience. Exactly. So, so, so I encourage everybody to come on down and uh, not only see the movies, but enjoy talking about them, asking questions uh, about anything. Even it's the, hey, that scene where the third guy got off the bus and got the eye line. Do you know why they shot that? I will try to answer all questions. <laughs> so let's talk about this program. Uh, yeah. There's there's two different elements to it, right? There's the one element which you just talked about, which is uh, celebrating Carl Franklin's uh, sort of neo noir work of Devil in a Blue sure. Dress and One False Move, which is going to be, which I'm personally very excited about. You know, I I know mm -hmm. more neo noirs than I know classic noirs, but thanks to you and Eddie. I'm learning mm -hmm. so much more about all of the classics, and I love them. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the other side of this program, the, the meat and potatoes of this program, is an A-B uh, theme. Tell us, about, like, tell us about this programmatic theme that you guys came up with. Well, the A-B theme is, is kind of something that we've reached out and plucked from the classic noir era, because... A and B movies uh, really became um, uh, the thing to do in the mid-1930s as far as exhibition. And uh, as Ann Savage once told me, a B does not denote bad. Uh, what, a B, what a B movie was is it was the second feature. It was normally shorter. It normally had a lower budget. It normally had actors either on the way down or on the way up. It was kind of like the, the triple A use a baseball analogy, the triple A farm club of studios like RKO and Warner brothers and Fox and so on and so forth. Um, a lot of them spun like, uh, series movies like the Whistler movies at Columbia, the Charlie Chan and Mr. Moto series at Fox and so forth. So, um, we're in putting this together, we tried to do it by year where you had an A film from a certain year and then a B film from a certain year, which which gets kind of tricky because sometimes it's hard to find the right films to put them together. But I think we put together a really, really great program where you have the A film with 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 stars like, you know, Edward G. Robinson or Lee Cobb or Spencer Tracy or Bill Holden. And then you have stuff with, uh, you know, Beverly Michaels and Hugo Haas and Turin Bay and, and people like that. So and I think the films, uh, both the A and the B films are very, very worthy. So I, I think it's going to I think your audience is really going to take this. Um, and, and literally, like for you guys, is this the first year of time? Uh, is this? I mean, I know some of the times you take these uh, these programmatic themes and use them in San Francisco or, or L.A., but is this the first year that you've done an A.B. program? No, no. We did this. Uh, we did this last year. I believe we did. We did it in Los Angeles last year. And I think we kind of did it. We've used the we've used the theme of the A and we've used the theme of the years before. And then we've used this, the A and B things, but now we're combining those two elements to program this. So um, I think it's terrific. I think it's going to be terrific. And, and almost all of the films 
uh, I might add for your audience are all 35 millimeter prints. So those purists, yeah, I think only that one. Say, I drove one? from <laughs> Iowa to see a 35 millimeter print. Um, I think all of them are prints, with the exception of uh, the Turning Point, which uh, is a beautifully yeah. restored DCP. I don't know about opening night, but no uh, opening night. Those are we... both uh, prints. We uh, okay. Sony, Sony okay. Repertory was fantastic to us, and they pulled their archival prints for us. I believe. Oh, that's wonderful! Um, that's wonderful. So, so I think most all of them are prints, with the exception of the Turning Point, which is a DCP. Oh no, I'm sorry. There are two. There's the Turning Point, and I Walk Alone. Those are the two DCPs. I Walk Alone. Okay, yeah. got but it. Everything yeah, else from is. Everything else yeah. is is thirty five, and I think I mean one of the things I enjoyed about this podcast, Alan. So sorry if I'm mm -hmm. telling you something you already know, but I like to t inform the the I'll listeners. Tell the audience, uh, yeah, we're here. Is um, so you know one so there's there's an interesting thing about the world of of these repertoire these archives, right? And archive mm -hmm. is a specific word because if you call a distributor and you say Sony or W Warner Brothers or whoever, I want to book a film. What formats do you have available? They will tell mm -hmm. you readily what formats they have available, which is means right. what is in circulation for everybody. Okay, so that yep. means you could get a DVD, you get a Blu-ray, you get an HD file, you get a DCP. And you can yep. get a 35. However, sometimes what they'll tell you is uh, they won't say that they have a 35 available. So what that means is you have to do a little digging, and then you have to ask them, would you call your archive, which is their, like, their, their, their keep these the things. The studio so archive, yeah, yes. These, these, so Sony would look at their archive, and they have somebody who manages their archive. And these are prints that they will not loan out to people <laughs> unless you meet certain criteria, which is yes. you show films reel-to-reel, -reel, right, so that you have a less uh, opportunity or there's less of a chance for you to scratch the entire film. Um, you have met some accreditations in terms of your projectionist training. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes they will only give you these prints if you uh, have something special attached to the showing. So like the filmmaker or you, Alan, or Eddie, <laughs> um, that we would be doing something special to, uh, to give us an archival print. Um, and so there is the, there's the circulation, the prints in circulation, and then there are the archival prints. So whenever you listener are on the website and you hear that it's UCLA archive, that is a special thing. It really is. That means there's all this, not a all lot this, of prints out there. Right. Um, that, that, that's quite correct. And just because there's a print out there doesn't mean that they're going to give it up. And a lot of this, uh, all of this showing of these prints and so forth is based on relationships, relationships that uh, the Music Box has, the relationships that the Film Noir Foundation has and so forth. And um, and that's a that's a trustful relationship. But it is based, as you said, on a certified reel to reel 35 millimeter changeover system and a history of treating these archival prints with the uh, the careful uh, reverence that they deserve. So, yes, this is this is a spe I think that underscores the fact that this festival is a special event, not just, you know, getting together and, and throwing Blu-rays and projecting them and, and making popcorn. Uh, it, there's a lot more to it that goes into it. Um, so what is uh, what's something you're really looking forward to in this program? I'm looking forward to uh, everything. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, I get asked that question a lot at these festivals and my festival that I put on every year in Palm Springs. And it's kind of like, which of your grandchildren do you like the most? <laughs> you know, it, it's it's a hard question to answer. But 
I mean, some of these films, uh, uh, you know, Eddie will be helming the, the opening weekend. And then I come in Monday through Thursday uh, for four days of double bills. So, I mean, I, I tend to concentrate on the films that, that I'm going to introduce. And, you know, leading off on Monday with all my sons, which uh, I'll be honest, that's based on an Arthur Miller play and it's based on lying and betrayal and duplicity and heartbreak. So I don't think all my sons is really film noir, but uh, you know, the tried and true expression of noir stained uh, does apply to that. And this, for some reason, this movie doesn't get shown a lot at all. And this was Arthur Miller's first great play uh, and it stars Edward G. Robinson and Burt Lancaster. I mean, you, you can't uh, get it. And Edward G. Robinson said he was as proud of this film as he was any other that he ever made. In fact, he was so enthusiastic, the director, Irvin Rice, had to like hold him down uh, <laughs> and so forth because he was so great. And it, it, is, it is just a... Um, I think it's a film that will have people walking out talking amongst themselves like a punch in the gut. And then that's followed by The Spiritualist, which is one of the great uh, Eagle Lion movies shot, uh, lensed by uh, the great John Alton, who is really the father of noir or the godfather of film noir cinematography uh, shot at the Getty house, uh, John Paul Getty's house they use for the exteriors on the beach and starring Turn Bay and Richard Carlson and Kathy O'Donnell and uh, terrific film. Uh, and then Tuesday, we have The Man Who Cheated Himself. We talked about that at the top. And uh, I, I mean, a cast of Lee J. Cobb actually playing someone his own age and <laughs> Jane Wyatt playing a femme fatale rather than the wholesome mother that we grew to know and father knows best. And I say we as the baby boomers. Of course, I watched it all in reruns, you know. I'm not that old. Uh, but there's a lot to that film that I'll be talking about. Uh, uh, I, I actually uh, produced with the Film Noir Foundation a 20-minute uh, featurette on the making of this film. And this is one of these films where arguably the backstory is just or more interesting than the actual movie. Uh, and the second feature here is, has the wonderful film noir title, I was a shoplifter <laughs> <laughs> with, uh, with uh, Scott Brady and uh, the femme fatale, Andrea King, Mona, Mona Freeman, and a young actor who plays a very, very bad criminal named Anthony Curtis, oh, man. Uh, a.k.a. Tony Curtis. <laughs> and I believe the name of his character is Peppy. <laughs> so what a great can, introduction you can, that you can. That, that's how you can roll um, Wednesday, the people against O'Hara. And this was helmed by the great John Sturges. But back in the day when he was an MGM contract director, uh, way before uh, the Magnificent Seven and a couple years before Bad Day at Black Rock and The Great Escape and all of those films that made him such an A-list director. But this is really Spencer Tracy's only film noir. And the backstory is interesting. Um, I got to know the late Richard Anderson, who's in the movie, and he told me a bunch of stuff. And uh, Spencer Tracy himself, who had a significant alcohol problem, plays an alcoholic 
in this movie. Uh, and it took a lot of courage. And this one is, uh, this particular movie is followed by one of the great sleazy, low-down, campy, dirty movies named Pickup, <laughs> which kind of speaks for itself, uh, shot on a very, very lean budget, released by Columbia, and it is directed and stars by a fellow named Hugo Haas, who um, dedicated his life to making low-budget remakes of The Postman Always Rings Twice. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it. Uh, Hugo always had a movie where he was the older man in love with a woman who uh, pretended to be in love with him, but then plotted to do something nefarious. And this also includes the statuesque Beverly Michaels, whose credits include Wicked Woman and other things. And she's like about six foot one and blonde. And uh, uh, the, I, I think our audience will appreciate this. And then the wrap-up is a really terrific movie, The Turning Point uh, on Thursday, uh, William Holden, Edmund O'Brien, Alexis Smith. And this is kind of based on the Kefauer organized crime hearings of 1950-51, uh, a great supporting cast uh, with Ed Bagley, Ted DeCorsia, Tom Tully, uh, all shot on location uh, in downtown L.A. and Bunker Hill and Angel's Flight and all of that. And it's really more than a docu-noir. It's, it's definitely a film noir. When Ted DeCorsia plays someone who's the voice of reason, you know it's a, it's a down and dirty movie. <laughs> and then um, we broke with our year thing here because we were going to show The Scarlet Hour, which we screened in Los Angeles last April which I don't think this movie has seen a until that time had been uh, screened since it was it, uh, released in 1956. This is Michael Curtiz, uh, obviously the tie-in since I wrote the biography on Curtiz, but this was Curtiz's last film noir. Uh, it has a cast of wannabes with the feral Carol Omard of House on Haunted Hill fame. Tom Tryon, who decided to be a novelist after working for Curtiz and Otto Preminger. He said, that was enough. I think I'll go write books. <laughs> and uh, But James Gregory, a, a really good supporting cast and filmed all over L.A. And I think it is going to be a, uh, a that last evening will be a very entertaining evening. So I'm really looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to seeing all my Chicago uh, film noir aficionados and friends in these great movies. So I have to ask, because you're going you're gonna to get it anyway, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, we did that big Curtiz series. After, even after yeah. you left, we showed eight more films. So, you know, yes. if people who came to those matinees want to chat you up on Curtiz, will you be available to talk about all that? I am always available to be chatted up on Curtiz. Always, good, always. Good. And, and I will have... I will be bearing books. Oh, perfect. <laughs> you know, there, there will be, there will be Curtiz books for sale. There will even be Charles McGraw books for sale. Uh, uh, my first book. So yes, I, I'm always eager to chat up uh, Michael Curtiz. Very good. Uh, well, uh, I'm excited for this program. I think you guys made a hell of a year, put together uh, mm -hmm. one very strong program, and uh, well, I'll be excited to hang out with you again this, this coming year or this coming week. You'll be here before I know it. In one week, I'll see you. Um, so you're going to, you're going to be there. You're going to be there. You're going to be there this time. 
<laughs> I'll be around a little bit. I'll be more okay. around All during right. the weekend uh, because okay. uh, I, I'll have more free time during the weekend. Weekdays are yeah. kind of hard for me, uh, yeah. but I'll, I'll see you. We'll, we'll, we'll hang okay. out a little bit, and okay. I know okay. for the listeners, uh, okay. they'll get a lot of time to deep, hang out with you. Deep dish pizza. Deep dish pizza. Yes, we Just will. Think deep, think deep dish pizza. Have we have we gone to Pequod's yet, you and I? Uh, no, no. Okay, well I we mean, gotta no, we have to go know. to Pequod's and get to get yeah, some of that yeah, deep dish because you know. it's so so good. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, listeners. I know you all have cross your favorites. My, cross, yeah, cross my palms with pizza, and you can take me anywhere. That, see, there we go. That's the the key yeah, to yeah. to Alan's heart here. Um, there you go. All right. Well, I just want to say thank you for coming on the Music Box Podcast and giving us this Absolutely. great overview. Um, we look forward to seeing you next week and talking to you more in person. And Music Box listeners, uh, please come check out Noir City, uh, even if it's just to hang out with Alan and Eddie. It's it's a grand old time. Hey, absolutely. I will, if I'm either, if not, not in the theater, I'm in the lobby, but look for me near the bar in the lounge. I'll be there. All right. Thanks, Alan. All right. Hey, thanks, Ryan. Much fun. Thank you, Alan, for that uh, really great uh, conversation about uh, Noir City and a little background about Film Noir Foundation. Um, so, uh, I, I can't wait to personally meet Carl Franklin. He's, he's a great filmmaker and, uh, talk to him and I hope some of you guys feel the same, uh, and want to come out and do that. Uh, just two great different films that you could, you could, you could enjoy devil and mood dress and one false move on, on Friday night. And plus you could hang out with Eddie. Eddie's fun. Um, so, uh, so th- in terms of, uh, advanced ticket notice, um, there's really not much advanced that stuff that we should talk about on this on this one. However, I will say if you do have our calendar, our printed calendar, all of those things should now be uh, for sale and up on our website. So anything you should be able to find for advanced uh, ticket sales and uh, and yeah, just take a look at that calendar. So then um, I suppose the next segment uh, would be this old theater. So we're going to have to jump over to the rest of the conversation uh, with Mr. Dennis Scott. Let's do that now. It's almost like jazz improvisation, except you try to keep the jazz in the vernacular of the time when the film was made. At least that's what I do. There are some people who are trying to modernize everything. But how do you learn the vernacular? Do you have to just watch a ton of movies? Uh, Watch a ton of movies and also listen to the music of that era. Oh, yes. We did one a few years ago here that I thought was going to be really difficult to play because we did um an inn in tokyo mm-hmm. and it was fil- it was an ozu film that was oh, done right, right, in right. 1935 yeah. yeah and the um i saw the film and it's very slow moving yeah <laughs> i mean very that's slow ozu right yeah yeah it's <laughs> very very reflective and introspective scenes and so forth i thought oh boy what am i going to do for this because i had no idea of what Japanese music would have sounded like in 1935. So, good old YouTube. <laughs> I went on YouTube and I typed in 1930s popular music Japan. And I came up with all these recordings. So, I just sort of immersed myself in those things for a few hours and listened to all these recordings. And there were lots of them. And I listened to all of these. And then I uh, okay, I think I can fake my way through something here, you know, and do this. And the day of the show, there was a fellow there who came up to me, came running up to me after and said, where did you get that score? I said, I just made it up. It's 
like an improvisation or something? No, 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 no. He said, that's authentic Japanese music. I said, well, if you say so. But, I, <laughs> but then I told him about uh, YouTube. Well, you said, did your research. He said, really? And he, I said, well, it's, it's all improvisation, but I try to make it sound authentic for what's on screen or, or for the time when it was filmed. So when you first were asked to do it, you knew the kind of the, the rules or the sort of template, but were you nervous at all or like, did it just come naturally to you? Oddly enough, uh, I don't get nervous when I'm playing a silent film. I get, I would, uh, I'm a terrible sight reader, so I'd get more nervous playing a church service. <laughs> okay. Know, I, okay. That, but, but playing a silent film seems to be the most natural thing to do. I and it, so it started that way. You just it was natural for you. You just started playing, and, and it, boom! It really was. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just one of those things I sort of fell into, and and it, and it took. <laughs> wow! So and so, everybody has a different technique of right, so, there, there, There's there's some people who want to write out every frame. They they can't sit down and play a silent film, but they will write a wonderful score for a silent film. Uh, we we had. What's the French group we had here? Uh, Prima Vista Quartet. Was that it? Prima Vista Quartet? The yeah. one that played before Wings? Yes. Yeah, they were cool. That they was were a, great. That Very was a fabulous score. I, I just I, I sat close to them and watched everything they did. And then we've had also the uh, Montalto oh, Orchestra. Yeah. When yeah. we did a couple of years ago, when we did a few years ago, when we did the Hitchcock Nine. Yep. All the Hitchcock yep. Nine. Because they were traveling with it. And they played four of the films, and I played the other five films in a matter of less than a week. I think about played five films in three days or something like that, which was fun. But uh, I watched their technique too. Rodney Sauer is the pianist and the leader of the group, and when they he'll he'll score a scene, and he uses published materials from that time frame and things that would be appropriate for the film. Then, if they are running, if that if that music runs a little overtime, they'll go right into the next theme. If they finish, Rodney improvises to the end of the scene on piano. So sometimes, if you're if you hear them playing and you're hearing a little bit of solo piano at the end of the, uh, they finished early, so Rodney's right. finishing up, and then they go right in where they have little like mileposts and then they start the next scene so it's wow and i guess that's the way it was done in the 20s when some of the big theaters here in chicago had organists who played the matinees but in, for the evening shows they would have sometimes the organist and the orchestra in the pit and they that's one of the techniques they used oh that makes sense yeah the Chicago theater, but he wasn't old enough to be there back then, right? No, I no. think uh, no. <laughs> no, no, he wasn't. He definitely wasn't. No, Rodney. No, he just he was told how it worked. Yeah, yeah. He, he he did his homework. So, so when did you start playing for the Music Box? I started in '92. I moved back here from I was living in California, and I moved back here in 1992, and I had known the owners um, for a number of years through Theater Historical Society. So uh, they found out I had moved back here and they said, would you like to come and play intermissions for us? And I'm sure. So uh, that's when I started. Did they already have an organ in place for you or did you have to get they, an organ? They installed an organ. Well, oddly enough, they had been Allen Organ Dealers in California before they migrated to Chicago. 
Did you know them back then in that time? I, why? Yes. Um, I met um, one of the owners here when we hosted a theater historical society convention. That the music box hosted one. No, in Chicago. Oh, just in Chicago. Chicago, Okay. And uh, that was in the early seventies, and then I moved to Chicago. Moved to San Francisco in seventy-seven. Lived there for about two and a half years, and then went to Pontiac, Michigan, to play in a pizza parlor there. <laughs> and Why then uh, I was there for about eight years, and moved back to San Francisco because my brother was living there. And I after after about five years in San Francisco, I finally told my brother, I'm too Midwestern. This just isn't working for me. So I moved back here in 92. And uh, so they had the organ. In so place, they, they it was an Allen. They had taken over the business in 1983. Right. And they installed an Allen organ. In 83, when they reopened yeah, under yeah. the current sort of what right. we know the music box to be like right now. Right. Okay. Uh, when, well, when they started, they weren't thinking independent house. They thought, oh, this would be a nice, nice old house to do. Right. Betty Davis festivals, right. and, double bills, and, and all double that bills, stuff. and all right. sort of, sort of like the Clark Theater used to do. Right. Down, but down, it down evolved years. into what we currently have. But after after that didn't work, they hired their first booker was Sandy Cheney, not right. not related to the owner. Right. And um, he was here for a number of years and. He got was, the ball rolling with the independent policy. Right. And he was the one that handed it off to Brian Andriotti, right? He did. Right. Yeah. I and think then, listeners, you've then, heard Brian's And then Brian, Brian ran with it. Oh, know, yeah. Brian has been running with it for a while. The, he's the <laughs> so, he's incredible. So, it was the, so before 83, do you know, was there an organ in the theater? No. There, there was never. never. There never okay. was. Uh, 1929, the theater opened without a pipe organ. And, of course, there were there was nothing like what we have now, the right. electronic organs. The first electronic, uh, first electric organ was the Hammond in 1935. And even though they sometimes like to bill it as a theater organ, it wasn't anything like a theater organ. So really, we opened and we were like, no need for anything, you know, music-wise, because right. we're now in the talkies world. Right. And then when we wanted to kind of dip our toes in that sort of nostalgia history, that's when we started to bring it back, which was in 83. Yeah. And, and of course, and if you have a couple of Allen organ salesmen, <laughs> they know a few things and about they said, it well, You know, and they were all, and, and one of the owners played. Really? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. He played. And so did he used to be their organist? Do you know? He, he played, he didn't play all the time. But some some nights he would just get inspired. I'm going to go play the organ, so he would go play for an intermission. Wow! And they wanted to bring on early on. They wanted to bring on a terrific organist by the name of Barbara Sellers, whose parents had both worked uh, in the theaters for Balbin and Cats. Barbara's mother played at the Oriental. Wow! And she played. Um, in fact, well, both of her parents played. All the theaters for Balvin and Cats, and they they traveled all over the city. But uh, Barbara grew up in that tradition, so when the owners asked Barbara if she would play, she wanted a dressing room, she wanted paid rehearsal time, she wanted a an allowance for wardrobe, and they just said, "Barbara, I'm sorry, we can't do that." 
Right, we're not. And just, she just didn't quite understand because she'd grown up in that tradition right. with Malibu and cats, and her mom had a dressing room at the Oriental, and um, they gave her allowances for elaborate dresses and, and things. It's like wow. it's like Helen Crawford who played at the Chicago Theater with her husband Jesse. There was a man and wife team, and she had dresses that were very plain in the front. But there were all the ornamentation and the jewels and everything on her dresses were embroidered on the back. Wow. So that was the kind of the Crawford style of, uh, <laughs> of presenting theater organ. I thought of having a jacket. No, you well, should. Maybe. You maybe should. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to people. You should. I think it'd be fun. <laughs> one of these maybe days, our listeners will weigh in and yeah, give the, us some comments on whether Dave should have give, his jacket or not. Yeah. And, um, and, and give us some, some style ideas because I've got some that are kind of far out. So, what are some? I mean, what are some highlights to you of playing the organ at the music box? What do you like about it? It's well, I like everything about it. Actually, uh, the audiences are great. They've become a lot of the people are like family, especially when we can talk about this later in the season for our Christmas shows because we'll have multiple generations coming for the for the Christmas sing-alongs, and there are people that I played for as kids back in the nineties who are here with their kids and their parents. So, uh, so maybe I'm maybe maybe I'm right in remembering this because I'm usually frantically rushing to try to clean up the theater, but I feel like right. people come up and talk to you during they, intermissions. They do. They do. And um, so I visit with people and then now that we have the lounge, sometimes we just gather here in the lounge and I, I and people come up and just chit chat. Yeah, we wanna... we've become, you know, yeah. Good, good, if not good friends, at least good acquaintances right. with the uh, number of people. Yeah, and faces sure. and all those things. We have a fellow who's here every week for one show or another. In fact, we uh, then there are people who are here all, for all the silent films. Yeah. So, uh, oh yes, there's that there's so that crowd as well. So we get to know. All are they your people. groupies? <laughs> I I don't know. I suppose that maybe a few of them are. Um, <laughs> and here's another thing about playing for silent films. A lot of people, when we first started doing it, the the manager who was here at the time said, "Well, we'll we'll call these senior centers and then we'll do this." And I said, "No, no, back up a minute." I said, "Let's not approach it from that standpoint because there are people of all ages who will come to watch silent films." Right, and I mean, seniors weren't really alive to like have grown up watching silent films no. in that way. So no. it's not like you're playing into their nostalgia. They've been watching I'm, talkies since they can remember. I mean, I'm a senior and yeah. I, you know, I didn't grow up with silent films. Well, yeah. I, I I can't say that actually because when I was a kid they used to run Laurel and Hardy shorts okay. on, so tele- maybe, maybe on television. Was, that was kind was of my introduction of it, right? But still like but it I wasn't didn't, like you were it wasn't in, part of the my life. teens or the early twenties no. as a kid. Right. And these no. seniors weren't either. No. Yeah. No, even because you when you stop and think about it, uh Music Box opened in nineteen twenty nine. Uh anybody born that year would be ninety years old from your yeah. next year. So uh, And then that's if they were born that year. <laughs> and yeah, and then they wouldn't yeah. and I don't think they would remember it unless there, they no, were there, no. had some kind of special intelligence that we don't know about. Doubtful. Um, well, anyway, 
Well, that's that's incredible, and I I just want to say thank you for coming on the show and and talking about this. This has and been fun. How do we we not how uh, when do we we have to get you back before I would say Sound of Music because the sing alongs I suppose you you, those you know are, that history those are fun yeah. and then we'll have to get you back on before the Christmas shows because you know the history of of those and we might mention in fact I mentioned this to somebody yesterday because we had a few people in. Uh, early for the one of the showings, and I said, I turned around. And I said, "What would you like to hear?" You know, and they, somebody said, "You do music from the Sound of Music," and I thought I played the <laughs> played the whole thing. But I said, "If I said, you know, we do our Christmas sing along uh, around Thanksgiving, but during our seventy millimeter festival, I should point out that uh, we're doing the Sound of Music in seventy millimeter." On the big screen, our our special seventy millimeter screen that's without the sing along part. Without the <laughs> sing along, and if you just would like to come and watch the movie without all of that, uh, this is a, a great opportunity to do it. And if with a, a seventy millimeter print, it should everything oh, about it should be fabulous. Amazing. I can't wait for that. With uh, some of our other seventy. Uh, millimeter festivals we've done vertigo we've done west side story and we could do that for every festival and i would come to watch it every time it's just one of my all-time favorite it's so much fun right the the music uh, and the picture but the variety of things that we do here at the theater right we do a lot from (laughs) from one day to the next i mean one 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 day we'll have the hump tour. Uh, and, <laughs> and you're uh, playing before that? And I'm playing before that. And then a few days later, we'll have Cardinal Sukic here to talk about silence. So <laughs> you can never... The Martin Scorsese film, by the way. Yes. Not which silence was... as in a lack of music or sound. Right. No, the film Silence. And uh, my, favorite, uh, my favorite line of his, he says, they call, he says, it's ironic that they call this film silence and the main character never shuts up <laughs> and it got a big laugh from the audience oh yeah he's he's fun we got to get him yeah. to come back he's very interesting to have a conversation but, with. It, but it's always interesting when we have all the uh, yeah all the directors and the, you know the uh, somebody told me it was really fun you played in front of uh the king the the um the documentary when eugene jarecki was here and they said that you were playing some old elvis tunes yeah and they really liked that yeah, so and that uh, was a lot of fun. And one, um, and one director said, uh, "You know, this is how Fats Waller got started," which was true. And he used to play in the theater on the South Side here in Fats? Chicago. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. When um, uh, when they had all the uh, theaters where IIT is now, right. right? And and Fats played for a couple of years, I think, in the theater on the South Side. Everybody thinks of him as being a New Yorker, but he. Oh, no. He, he traveled. He has he roots traveled, here. Traveled the world. Well, Dennis, I want to thank you. Uh, we have to have you back on. All right. Because I know not only can you talk about Christmas shows and Sound of Music, but you probably have some other stories you want to tell. Maybe you want to chime in on the ghost stories. I don't know. But uh, let's find some time to bring you back. And I just want to thank you for coming that on for the great. podcast this week. Thank you for asking me, Ryan. All right, and that completes uh, the full interview now, or the, the two halves of the interview with Mr. Dennis Scott, um, talking about our house, uh, talking about our, our being our house organist, and um, all the ways that he uh, kind of comes to uh, comes to create that kind of music. Uh, it was uh, fun, I would say, uh, to be in the audience for the Bluebird on Saturday uh, after having gotten a little bit of. Uh, 
the kind of behind the scenes to talk with Dennis, uh, it, it, I think it lifted even my appreciation uh, for what he does with his silent films. And uh, I hope some of you enjoyed that as well. Otherwise, you know, we're going to have a next one in September and then another one in October and then November. We take December off because he's quite busy playing with the playing the Christmas shows, but they'll be right back in January. So a lot of silent uh, cinema coming up and uh, I do hope you get out to some of that. Well, I guess at this point, uh, we're going to have a quick review of what's happening. Uh, Midnight's, uh, we've got The Room and Rocky, The Room on Friday, Rocky on Saturday, and then we have our encore screenings of Summer of 84 in the smaller theater. Um, and then we have our Noir City Chicago uh, playing all week, so August 17th through the 23rd, and it's going to be a, a hell of a lot of fun. So, uh, listeners, I would like to say, uh, please rate us, comment Send me an email. I think you have it by now. Uh, and let us know what you're thinking about the podcast or what you want to see on the screen or what you want us to talk about more. Or, you know, just give us a whatever star rating or, or thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever you're thinking about it. And, uh, and as usual, I can't wait to see you out at, at the movies and have a great week.